In this week's Parsha, we read about the dramatic moment when Yosef finally reveals his identity to his brothers. So after a tumultuous 22 years, a period that began when the brothers sentenced him to death, threw him into a pit that contained snakes and scorpions, sold him into slavery, and now we finally reach the climax, the confrontation between Yehuda and Yosef, and subsequently the spectacular revelation. Nechavetz Chaim explains, the brothers had many questions. They were troubled by the fact that they had to endure all this hardship, the famine, the incarceration of their brothers, being accused of theft and espionage and on and on. Then, as soon as Yosef revealed himself and he says, Ani Yosef, Hashem's master plan became clear and conspicuous to the brothers. And in their minds, it all fell into place. Now it all made sense. All their questions, all their suspicions and doubts were answered. Everything that happened for the last 22 years fell into proper perspective. Says the Chafetz Chaim, likewise, people go through their lives with so many questions. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Why if I do everything right, does everything turn out so wrong? Why do I have to endure so much anguish and suffering? Says the Chafetz Chaim, When the time comes, Hashem will say two words, Ani Hashem, and everything will be revealed. All the darkness, all the concealment will be lifted from us. And we'll be able to understand that everything that transpired throughout our lives had to happen in that precise way. It would all make perfect sense. And this reminds me of a beautiful idea that I saw from Rabbi Schwab in his commentary on Kriyashima and his Sefer, Ian Tfila. The Torah tells us in this week's Parsha, when Yaakov Avinu sees his most beloved son Yosef for the first time in 22 years, he doesn't immediately greet him, rather he recites Kriyashima. And this is highly bizarre. Couldn't he embrace him first and then say Kriyashima? What was Yaakov's thought process over here? Says Reb Shuaab, something fascinating. One of the highlights of Kriyashima is when we say V'chol Nafshecha, that we are prepared to give our lives for the sake of Hashem. And Reb Shuaab quotes his Rebbe, Reb Shloime Breuer, who said the following, For 22 years, Yaakov Avinu was extremely miserable and depressed. He was grieving for his beloved son Yosef. He sat in mourning. He was literally sitting in sackcloth. Every day when he said Kriyashima and he said the words he proclaimed I'm willing to sacrifice my life for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But those words rang hollow. It didn't mean much because his life was not so great. It wasn't very exciting at that point. He was willing to sacrifice an inferior, a deficient, flawed life because that's the life he was living at the time. Then came the day that he met Yosef. And finally, he again had a life that was complete, a life that was sweet and beautiful. Yaakov said, Right now I should say Krishma. Now I should declare that I'm willing to give my life when, it's, when life is most meaningful, a life worthy of sacrifice. Hashem. And that's why it was at that precise moment that he said Krishma. What a beautiful thought from Reb Shuaab. So when a person is experiencing great challenges and hardships, every day is a struggle. Just getting up in the morning and facing the day is difficult. And when he says Kriyashma and he, he declares, those words seem so empty, so implausible, because such a life is virtually meaningless. 
But if that person has the proper perspective and he understands that everything that happens to him, even the difficulties, even what he perceives as bad, is ultimately for his benefit, then even amidst the troubles and the darkness, he experiences great inner peace and happiness. And if he then declares, I'm willing to sacrifice my heart and soul for the honor of Hashem, not only aren't those words hollow, but on the contrary, that expression of Mesuras Nefesh is so precious in the eyes of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. In 2011, the New York Times set out to find the happiest person in America. They contacted Gallup, a firm known for its research polls. To conduct the survey, Gallup assigned a certain percentage to each quality that they deemed would contribute to the perfect profile. They surmised that the happiest person should have the following characteristics. That person had to be male, tall but not too tall, wealthy but not too wealthy, older but not too old, religious, owns a business, is Asian American, is married and has children and lives in Hawaii. That would be the perfect specimen. So armed with this information, the search began. And after a few months, they found a person by the name of Alvin Wong. He's Asian American, male, 65 years old, 6 feet tall, a resident of Hawaii. He's married with children, religious, owns a business, and he earns $120,000 a year. They called him up and they told him, Alvin, from now on, you'll forever be known as the happiest person in America. Why is this anecdote important to us? Because from all different criteria that Gallup was looking for to find ultimate happiness, do you know which statistical category carried the most weight? Religion. Contributing most to determine the happiness of a person is if he's religious. Even the secular world realizes that. And parenthetically, observant Jews scored the highest on the poll. The idea is, life is full of trials and tribulations. But if we believe that whatever we endure is ultimately for our benefit, then we will constantly live a life of contentment and happiness. And now we know. Have a wonderful day.